a humdrum, not fantastic win that hopefully changes the narrative of this team this week on Pod Like a Raven. We had the perfect win for this particular Ravens team Sunday night. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us here on Pod Like a Raven. The Ravens winners 20-10 to against the Chargers in Los Angeles. They did not score 30 points. They did not look amazing on offense. But they did the right things well. They didn't crumble on defense. They sealed it late on offense. And this team, after a London game, two trips out west, and five division games can now enjoy their 9-3 record, take a break, a deserved break this week, and get set for the final month. Let me bring in my co-host to talk about this game. And really the first half, the first, you know, uh, three-fifths of this season for this Ravens team as they enter the bye. Start with Jace Evans. Jace, some stress levels, less stress levels? I think you seemed a little bit more relaxed at least in the first half maybe that changed uh, a bit later but how did you feel going through this game yeah this was this was a weird one I, I definitely I will say the tension increased throughout the game as what I thought was happening began to appear to be happening but most importantly it did not happen as you alluded to the Ravens did not collapse at this game I certainly felt like they were heading towards that and so to, to fight that off was encouraging and I think lift my spirits going into a break. That being said, there were a lot of frustrating things with this game. I don't know that this game in any way changed my opinion on if the Ravens can win the Super Bowl. I still lean that seems unlikely based on their current play. They are the one seed as we uh, woke up today and that's important, but... Uh, can they win the Super Bowl? I'm still not sure with how inconsistent this offense can be, but... Um, the defense, I think, showed a lot, especially given what we saw in the three losses they do have, uh, were kind of play, all played out exactly how this one was, but then they shut the door late. So that was encouraging. So, um, yeah, I feel, I feel good. I'm interested, uh, to takes, uh, for your all's takes on this. I think in many ways, this game also said a lot about the Chargers, uh, their side of things, uh, why the Ravens didn't end up blowing this. Uh, I think that's at least partly on, uh, I almost called him San Diego, on Los Angeles. Um, but still, I think encouraging on the whole, and I think, yeah, perfect time for a bye week um, coming off sort of an uneven, in some ways uninspired performance, but you get the win. And as I said, you have the number one seed. You can't ask for too much more than that. Nine and three, relatively healthy number one seed in the AFC. Can they win the Super Bowl? Jace Evans, I don't think so. I don't think this team has it. Uh <laughs> Tim Horsey, uh, <laughs> how did you how did you feel going through? Uh, I know you you tend to not enjoy the primetime games. Uh, how did you enjoy this one going through it? Oh no, I had to take the day off uh, as we record on Monday <laughs> to to deal with like to calm down after dealing with the eight thirty to whatever it is eleven thirty Eastern time uh, end of game. You know, I'm feeling pretty freaking positive, which is very weird for me. It's not a feeling that I deal with. Well, when it comes to the Ravens, I don't really know how to handle it. And I disagree with Jace. I think this team is fully capable of winning the Super Bowl and to make it pessimistic, as I always do. It's not because the Ravens. It's because everybody else is on the Ravens level. <laughs> uh, I don't think there is a good team in this National Football League, which we'll get to a bit later in the show. But, yeah, I mean, 
again, at some point, we're going to open up a Patreon level where you can be part of our text group. <laughs> Not text us. We don't, we don't really want that. But just watch our text group as it unfolds. Um, it was pretty grim and grisly. Um, and then it got positive, And then it got negative. And then it got positive again. It was a roller coaster of emotions in a... You know, not convincing win, but a kind of turn-the-page type of victory for the Ravens where they did something that they haven't done yet this season. That's close out a game, and, and I'm feeling pretty good about it, so can't wait to get started here. Yeah, I'm torn. I was about to just dive into uh, offense, defense, but I'm torn yet again uh, on just the luck of football and, and how these games go. I think last week I talked about the difference of a tip ball being a pick six to being a touchdown and, and how much of a difference that can make, even though it really does not speak to the quality of the players or the game. Was this game just that the Ravens recovered a ton of fumbles over and over and over again, which they hadn't done a, a lot in other games, but it's a win on the road. It's a double digit win somehow. <laughs> uh, and let's start with, with this offense that boy, after a great second drive, were pretty uninspiring and lackluster for long stretches. The first question I have for you guys is, uh, I mean, I guess the the people asked for it and the people got it, and it's Keaton Mitchell running back one uh, for the Ravens after a couple weeks, a few weeks after barely getting any touches. Now he's the starter. Stupidly enough, I don't know if I love this. I, I kind of think he should be the change of pace guy. He just should get more than three carries in a game. Feels like a eight to ten carries type of guy mixed in with the other backs, but a couple weeks in here and he seems to be the guy. Uh, and we'll we'll see if it continues. But what are your guys' thoughts on how first of all how quickly this has changed um, and, and the direction of Mitchell, who's not the biggest guy. Has already been banged up a little bit as a rookie. Uh, if you know the impact of, of him being that first guy getting the majority of the reps to, down the stretch here, I'll push back a little bit on the clear first guy thing. Um, you know, I he, he got a majority of the reps. That's that's clear. That, that's inarguable, obviously, because there's numbers there. But you know, you look at the final box score. Keaton Mitchell has nine carries. Justice Hill has five carries. But Gus Edwards has eight. And Gus Edwards is kind of your okay, it's the fourth quarter, you're a little bit tired, and here comes the, the hammer to really, to really you know, put the nails in the coffin type of thing um, for the Ravens. I'm totally cool with it, with Keaton Mitchell, um, and kind of the, the more – field time's the wrong thing, but the, mo the more reps that he's getting compared to the other, other running backs. And I say that because I, I think this dude might be more than a change of pace back. I really do. Like, I, I look at a guy who you could kind of relate him to on the other side of the football in an Austin Eckler, right? Austin Eckler ain't running between the tackles and breaking tackles. Keaton Mitchell, I know he's diminutive. I know he's more, like, looks like a scat back. But that dude sheds tackles. Like, he he, he doesn't just get around guys. He gets through guys, too, which I, I found frankly pretty remarkable uh, watching him play these last couple of weeks so I'm totally cool with it I you know I completely understand like hey give Gus the ball more he's he's a walking five yards although he averaged only 3.3 yards per carry in this game and trust me I'm leading the bandwagon I'm driving the aforementioned bus in that <laughs> regard most of the time but Keaton Mitchell's got something he, he's got juice he's got pop he's got speed he's got elusiveness but he's also got a little bit of power to him that 
surprised me and is an element that I think will really, really help. Um, and again, this is not saying he's getting 25 carries and if Gus getting like four, like I, I, I don't want any sort of dominant running back in the system, but I don't think he's just a change of pace. I think Gus Edwards might be the change of pace to Keaton Mitchell. It, I'm encouraged that they're they're working him in kind of as quick as they have because I feel like it's been like such just a hardball staple. Like uh, we we've brought this guy up a few times, but like the Tyson Williams experience where like he has that like great first game and it looks like he has pop and then he just disappears. But it seems like they're sticking with him and and I think he just kind of gives this offense um, a level of ex- uh, you know explosive play potential. I guess combined with Zay Flowers, but like that we don't, outside of those two players, we don't have a ton of with the state, you know, Beckham's health is constantly in question and with the Mark Andrews out now. But Mitchell has an has gone for over 20, like he has a rush of at least 20 yards in all four, in four straight games. Uh, like the big play potential is just there. And I think even in this game, you saw uh, on, you know, after the Chargers score to make it 13 to 10 on the drive where they ultimately miss a field goal, which we'll get more into. They got Keaton Mitchell prominently involved. Uh, you know, he has a run. They get him a pass or two. Um, and I, it's it's just, I think, cool to see in a big moment just kind of him getting those opportunities. And so I think it's a good thing, just more for just the explosive play element. I think certainly we lack from from the running back position because, you know, Gus, Gus will take have his big runs, but it just isn't quite the same as I think what we've seen sort of pop from Mitchell. So... I'm in favor of it. Like Tim mentioned, 46% of the snaps, so just under, you know, 50% of the snaps. So it by that metric, you know, Gus isn't too far behind, and they're going to run a lot. They ran a lot in this game. Should have run more. We'll get more into that in a moment. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I think it can only be a good thing for this offense, especially when you already, you know, you're down Mark Andrews uh, and you're missing that weapon. Keaton Mitchell, I mean, it's a small sample size, but uh, averaging 9.3 yards per carry (laughs) and has six receptions, averaging 11.7 yards per reception. He just feels like a first down waiting to happen. I just hope, I hope the health stays um, and that he stays as as a a main cog in this running attack. The receivers who I've criticized when whenever I feel like uh, Rashad Bateman with a really nice uh, really nice grab, I think on a third down. Um, Nelson Aguilar with a great catch. He also kind of had a drop later, but we'll forget about that one. Um, and then Isaiah Likely, I would say, passes his first test as tight end one. It, he's just, it looks different. It's going to be different. His game is not Mark Andrews' game. He uses speed. He uses shiftiness. And I mean, we can't, I can't. I cannot believe this is the Ravens' offense. There's speed everywhere, and this is going to be a problem. I think in the play, it's such a different playoff team when you have not one or two, but four different players who can just burn past defenders on any play, and likely has done that. Um, and I want to turn to Lamar now because that he's a quarterback. A weird game from him, if I may say so. A lot of incompletions. I think he was under duress a little bit more than uh, he or we would have liked. Um, some really nice completions or an awesome like pump fake drop the arm uh, under a defender to complete a pass. Did some good stuff on the ground. But something that Tim mentioned uh, in, in the text group that I'm going to toss to him now because it a, it's a thing. It's a point, and it was addressed in the offseason by Todd Munkin that was seen in the first half of the year but it's kind of starting to change a little bit as we get into December here and it's the 
the Lamar Jackson uh, extra hold in the pocket, extra hold of the ball in the pocket. And this is something that we don't want to continue uh, or at all as we get into the postseason because it leads to disasters, Tim. And it's this Lamar extra hold, and I want you to kind of go over what you're seeing there. Uh, and can it be addressed? Is this just what we have now, or is it something that's going to try to be corrected? I'll get I'll get to that question at the end of this because I think that's that's the most interesting part. Um, but what 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 I'm seeing and what everybody is seeing, you know, I'm I'm not some expert here. They Jason Garrett saw it, which tells you all you need to know. So everybody was saw, saw it, which we'll get to in a second. But early in the game, Lamar is, you know, if he's under center, right? If you're if you're imagining the play in your head, he's under center. And he's he's backpedaling, and that's uh, there's a certain amount of steps in a drop. You know, if 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 you're, they talk about a three step drop, five step drop, seven step drop in football, and seven step drop obviously is a longer play because the receivers need more time to get down the field as the quarterback is backpedaling, what have you. And the notion of all of these timing based routes and these offenses that we talk about on this show a lot, where it's it feels like jazz. There's like a rhythm to it. You can't really explain it, but the everything is moving as it should. A lot of that comes from the quarterback taking whatever amount of steps in his drop, and when he hits the back foot of that drop, whether it be three, five, seven, four, six, eight, what have you, whatever it is, you know, as soon as he hits the back foot, he's found his read, he gets rid of the ball, and we're moving and we're shaking. Lamar did that early in this game, and everything seemed to be flowing pretty well. You know, the team was dominating and they were up seven. And as I'm looking back through our text group now, I, I texted you guys up seven and dominating. I'm sure this won't go bad. Um, and <laughs> thankfully it didn't. But but you could tell the offense was kind of humming a little bit. And a lot of that to me seemed like it was Lamar, you know, even in shotgun, gets the ball one second, maybe two seconds, and the ball's getting out of his hand. He, he's made his decision. He's thrown the ball to Odell over the – over the middle, he's throwing it out to Isaiah Likely. He's got Zay on a quick little route that Zay's going to make seven people miss and get seven yards, what have you. And then it kind of it, it dissipated in a way, and it faded away, and it seems like it fades away in a lot of these games. And I don't, I'm not smart enough to know who that falls on, but Lamar Jackson, and this starts to answer Antonio's question a little bit, because he is Lamar Jackson, because he is the master improviser, because he is the most elusive man with the ball in his hands, he feels like he can get out of pretty much any situation. And there's Khalil Mack collapsing down, and there's name other Chargers pass rusher here because Joey Bosa wasn't there, um, collapsing down on him. And a lot of the times... He can make that guy miss and kind of it turns into backyard football, right? And that stuff is super fun to watch and it's part of the reason we love him and it's part of the reason that the Ravens have been so successful. But there's an element to that where a lot of the time he isn't able to escape because the offensive line, who frankly did not really have a good game in this game, um, in my opinion, the, the defense is collapsing on him to a point where not even a magician, like a real magician. Like, if you don't even believe in magic, this guy actually has magic. It's really real, 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 real magic could escape. 
And Lamar still tries to make things work, and he holds onto the football for the extra half a second, and there's four guys around him, and you're like, just everybody's done it. Every every from from me to my dad to the the oldest Ravens fan to the youngest Ravens fan just says, throw it, throw it, get rid of it, throw it, please, just just throw it out of the bounds, throw it through the uprights, whatever you have to do, please get rid of it. And there was a lot of that. In, in the back half of this football game. And that just, it slows the offense down to a point where it's not function, not functionable. Where, look, I think in the Greg Roman days, a lot of it was, oh my God, nobody's open. I've got to make something work. And the running game is really good, but now they've shut down the run and I don't really know what to do. This Todd Munkin offense, and, and I'm not trying to throw blame anywhere here because I frankly don't know where it comes from. But you got a lot of weapons now. You've got a lot of guys who can get open and the scheme is obviously better. Lamar passing wise is playing at an all time high level. But the one thing that I think he needs to improve on is if you're not going to get the ball out, like in that moment, if you're not going to get the ball out, as soon as your back foot hits, whatever part of the drop it is, you need to have a plan B. You need to be like, all right, well I'm running left or I'm getting this, I'm getting out of trouble this way or whatever. And I feel like there's sometimes a moment of disconnect where the thing that was supposed to happen doesn't happen and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of panic and there's a little bit of shutdown in a way that he's not getting the ball out but he's also not getting out of the pocket he's not making things happen and it makes a lot of plays falter and it just it's it really really is agitating and it's one of those things that debilitates an offense and you saw it on Sunday night it, it's it's one of those weird things where and we, we've kind of talked about this before but just like where as much as he runs I feel like he could run way more than he does and I think like what you're saying Tim it, there's were definitely times last night where I he's you see him he's still just looking to make a throw and you're just like if he had just taken off and run he would have got six yards. five. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Minimum. And then you're you're not constantly like they just got themselves in so many like third and longs in this game. I felt like there was like so many times we were just staring at like a third and fifteen. And you know, I, I think it, it goes hand in hand with that. And then just a few other things I think that just kind of makes this offense kind of maddening and just the the inconsistency with this offense is what worries me like long-term I think because they just seem to get in their own way a lot and at, like every time I think they turn the corner like these these same issues seem to emerge like we just talked about how like they're scoring like 34 points on accident almost the last several weeks and then you come into this game against the literal worst pass defense in the NFL and Lamar throws for 177 yards. Uh, it's just weird. And then like what you kind of mentioned Tim, too, about like, w this is where I don't know enough where it's like the things that are working, like they're hitting Odell Beckham and Nelson Aguilar, like you had mentioned Antonio on these slants early in the game and they just seem to disappear entirely. And now I assume that's the chargers making some kind of adjustment. Like even the worst defenses, like the chargers are going to be like, we got to stop this from happening. And but like like I think like you said Tim, there's doesn't seem to be the plan B, and I think the plan B in this game specifically, and especially you mentioned the line issues. I think that's no small part of it. Cole Jackson mentioned this. Uh, Ronnie Stanley gave up six pressures in this game. Morgan Moses gave up three. John Simpson and Tyler Linderbaum each had two. Zeitler the only guy 
playing with uh, a clean sheet in this game. So I think that is probably part of what gets in Lamar's head at least a little bit is knowing he doesn't have this time just because the line's just not playing well. You know, Stanley's hurt. That's clear. Moses is hurt. He missed time this year. Um, Simpson was in a battle for the job the entire offseason and kind of just got it by default. So, you know, I, I think we're, we are seeing line issues. I think that's contributing to part of this. But I think, like, when it comes to this game specifically, less even broad picture, like, yes, I'd love for Lamar to be better than 18 for 32 and the pass game's not working. Just run the ball. Just run the ball in this game. That's where it's okay to run the ball 90 times. Like, Antonio, you mentioned this in our text thread, I think on literally the first series for the Ravens, that they could rush for 200 yards in this game. And they basically did. They rushed for 197 yards, 35 attempts, 5.6 yards a carry. And like, it just felt like they should have just ran it more. Like ultimately at the end of the day, like, yeah, like I said, you would have loved the offense to be more in sync for whatever reason, whether it's the line, it's Lamar holding onto the ball, it's scheme issues, lack of adjustments. It just wasn't working, but the run game was working the entire game. They could run the ball for five yards, whatever they wanted. It seemed like, and I just felt like they should, like, even though 35, it's not a small number of attempts. I, this felt like a game where Lamar should have probably attempted 25 passes and they ran the ball 45 times and you win it 31 to 10, the way your defense played. And instead, they're, you know, they're winging it. They're not getting it. They're getting in these longs. Like Lamar gets, you know, sacked on like basically two straight drives to end the first half that kind of take the chance for points away. Um, or they might have kicked a field goal on the one, but like it, it just it derails potential scoring drives. And I, yeah, I just felt like if they just ran the ball more, <laughs> this would have been a very easy victory because of what the defense did. Just final piece uh, on just the offensive performance. I, I think I think I spoke about this either last week or two weeks ago about the Raven. Ravens just missing on deep balls, and they had two, at least two of them, uh, in this game with a receiver behind their man, uh, and Lamar making a, a pressured, at least in one, on one of them, a pressured throw uh, long, and they can't connect. This has been a few weeks now where they haven't really hit one of these big ones, and I am I'm kind of okay with it. Every ball is just overthrown. Nothing is underthrown. None of the Kyle Bowler eight yard underthrows that become interceptions by like the linebacker who's tailing the, who's tailing the play, not even the guy actually guarding the <laughs> wide receiver. They will hit on these eventually. And I think that's the adjustment to the slants, Jace, that you've been talking about. They look good early on this short stuff. Teams adjust. The, the adjustment is the adjustment to the adjustment. Hit them over the top. If they come crashing down on these runs, on these slants, on this, the bubble screens, all that stuff, the adjustment is to hit them over the top, and they have tried a few times, and they can't quite connect. It's coming. I know it is. There's probably going to be one game where it happens three times, and I hope it's a playoff game. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the time, fellas. Um, but yeah, just enough uh, offensively. I, I'm going to touch on the end of the game. Let's do that at the end. I want to turn to the defense now, because as inconsistent as the offense was, that's how consistent the defense was in this game. There is so much praise to give out, but, I mean, my uh, end-of-the-bar assessment of this team is they can flat-out rush the passer, they can tackle well everywhere, 
and they make plays in the secondary, guys. I, who, who do you even want to begin with uh, as we analyze the defensive performance? I mean, there's there's so many options. I, I think we got to start up front, and I, I kind of think two guys specifically um, because I think they sort of embody what's different about this team, and it's two guys that, one, we have long joked about them signing, and the other they quite literally brought off the street during the season. Uh, and it's Jadavion Clowney and Kyle Van Noy, who are up to seven and a half uh, sacks for Clowney, uh, which is closing in on his career Jesus. high, and six for Van Noy. S- seven? That's mind-blowing <laughs> to me. Sorry, I, I didn't see that before. Yeah, uh, so th- yeah, they're, they're having great years, and these are guys we really, you know, didn't, I think, think would have this sort of impact, but I think they've made so much... Um, difference up front i mean Clowney's forced fumble uh harbaugh cited it as he he thought it was the turning point so like i thought maybe the ravens were a little bit of trouble immediately off the rip uh you know marlon humphrey's out for this game again 50 50 chance of him playing he doesn't um but should be back after the bye but the chargers go right down the field but then after that it's six plays and a punt uh they go three and out fumble twice interception to end the half Another three and out to start the third quarter. And then Clowney's fumble halted what was a 19-play drive for the Chargers. It's just huge. And, of course, uh, the only touchdown the defense yielded was then after stopping that 19-play drive, the offense takes all of 108 off the clock, and the defense had to go right back out there after uh, we also gave up another long punt return. So I don't even really fault them for giving up that touchdown. And then, you know, in the waning moments of the game, two fourth down stops. And I think – it was just so encouraging because, as we just kind of talked about, the offense was dying to lose this game. This looked so similar to, the, I mean, even the score was like the same as the Browns game, right? They're they're up there in the Steelers game. They're literally the same score as the Steelers game. They're up 13-3, to three, uh, and, you know, it looks like we're shutting them down. Then the offense can't do anything. They get, Chargers get a touchdown because they are an NFL team, and NFL teams should score one touchdown a game. Uh, and it's 13 to 10, but they shut the door. And this was just like, we've talked about this defense, you know, not making, uh, the big play when they needed it, but they did it on Sunday and in the biggest moments, they came up with their biggest plays. And I thought it was just really, really impressive. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, those are just two guys. There's uh, so many other guys we need to mention, but I think it starts up front with them. And that clowny play was just so huge. And I think emblematic too. You're like, because that was when I started to despair. I'm like, you know, I'm like you're up 13, 13 to 3, but they're going on this long drive. Your offense has done nothing. And then to come up with that fumble, it was just like such a, a classic bend but don't break uh, Ravens moment that, you know, I feel like we haven't seen too much of it uh, recently. So that it was just, it was really heartening. And I think, you know, I the Kyle Hamilton, he mentioned the the Roquan, who I think was he quoting Ray Lewis. I forget who he was talking about. But he, he brought up postgame the if they don't score, they don't win thing. And the defense, like, took that to heart in this game. So, yeah, it, it, it was really fun to watch. And especially, I think, you know, after the sour taste of that kind of Browns game and then the Bengals game is whatever it is because Burrow goes out. It's kind of almost like whatever at that point. It was a good test, and I think one they passed against, you know, supposedly one of the best quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> what a before, perfect tee-up to t- take it away, Tim. <laughs> uh, I was going to say before we get to that, but let's start there. Um, again, 
we did this we did this last week and i don't want to be the guy that's just sitting there you know saying i told you so because i didn't tell you so and there's people smarter than me and what have you but i kind of sort of told you so justin herbert is like incredible athlete incredible arm talent but i don't know if i want that dude leading my my team I don't know if I want that guy in the big moments when he doesn't have Keenan Allen to throw to a hundred times or just dump it off to Austin Eckler. I feel I want to come back to you two on this like immediately before I continue because and I'll t- Antonio, I'll go to you first. I, you know I don't watch a lot of Chargers uh, if they're on red zone, late window, whatever. If they're like the one four o'clock game that's on on CBS after the Ravens, you know you throw them on. You're kind of getting ready for the week, what have you, but. Yeah, I know he's got arm talent, and that's cool, but I didn't see it last I didn't see the thing that Twitter sees last night. And maybe I'm or on Sunday night, excuse me. Uh, you know, re-record this on a Monday. Did you see it? Am I, am I crazy? Like, I get, I get the outstanding talent, and I get the, the playmaking ability, and I get... I get what kind of people like, but I don't get that they think that's the only thing that makes a good quarterback, if that makes sense. No, I, I, it's weird because I did, I was afraid a few times. There were some, your name's Jace, not Antonio, but go ahead. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) I missed that. No, I feel bad. Continue. Keep going. My bad. Uh, I was staring at the stats. I'm thinking, uh, it's weird. I was afraid a few times. I will say uh, there there were moments when he reached back and he just rifles a pass and his arm is so strong and it looks like it's so far like and even right towards okay, the end but, of the game. But hold on, hold on, hold on, not and I'm gonna let you go after this. But were you afraid because you're a Ravens fan and you know that the Ravens just love crumbling in big moments, or were you afraid because of Justin Herbert? Because I think those are two different things. I I was. You you guys saw the text messages. I was deathly afraid for that second half, like <laughs> deathly afraid for most of the time. And the defense just, oh, chef's kiss. We'll get we'll get back to that in a moment. You had to pivot to this Justin Herbert conversation, so we're gonna do this now. But were you afraid because of Herbert, or were you afraid because of the Ravens? Because I was certainly more afraid because of the Baltimore Ravens being, you know, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, it's probably that. I mean, we've seen them blow this game three different times already this season, not including, you know, 2022 and 2021. So, yeah, I was thinking, you you mentioned, like, I was player, we were texting last night, players he kind of reminded me of, and, and I just thought of this one while we were recording, which is why I wasn't listening. I'm sorry, Antonio. Um, but I was like, is is he just like Tony Romo 2.0? Uh, you know, talented. Oh. Puts up great stats, physically way more athletic, bigger, stronger, better arm, uh, but just doesn't kind of win the big games when it really kind of matters. Uh, I was thinking maybe Drew Bledsoe, but I was like, because he, he was, you know, tall, tall guy, huge arm. He couldn't move. Herbert obviously can move, but different eras. But, uh, I mean, Herbert wins way less than either of those guys, at least in terms of regular season. He's 29 and 31 now in his career, and like... 
I think even last week, Tim, you mentioned, is he Marino? Like, Marino made the playoffs all the time. They lost in the playoffs, but, like, Herbert, <laughs> Herbert's been in the playoffs once and his team blew, like, a 28-point lead. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird, it's a weird career so far. Because you look at the stats, they're astounding. He has 114 touchdowns and 41 picks in his career. But, yeah, I don't know. Watching it, it just, like, I mean, they scored 10 points in this game. And, like I said, I, I, I don't, I don't. I don't even really think like the, I think the Ravens offense is more to blame for almost the Ravens even giving up a touchdown in this game. Yeah. I guess he just didn't really strike the fear in me in that sense. It's tough. I have the memory, my like, wow. Herbert memory is when they played the Raiders, I think two years ago, it was late two seasons ago. And they had like, they had to have it it was a game they needed for the playoffs and they converted like four different fourth and longs in the fourth quarter it was every play was just like get like the basketball equivalent like give him the ball and get out of the way kind of thing and he was throwing 80 mile an hour darts 50 yards downfield to the sidelines and it was like this is a dude this is unbelievable the performance that i'm seeing from this guy there's so much talent and that's the carryover to even today but everything seems so hard and i don't get he has these great plays that have great completions you get this even in this game against the ravens you got kyle hamilton rolling his eyes because he can't believe that herbert threw this pass just over his over his reach onto this to the sidelines and then you look and it's third and seven it's like how do we get to third and seven after that or oh it's second and 12 i thought he just completed like an, a perfect eight yard pass and I don't know if that's his fault. I think his line stinks. Yeah. I think his running back is over the hill. I think his wide receiver two is out for the year. His tight end's been in and out of the lineup. He's got a good receiver that he throws to 800 times, and he catches it <laughs> 799 of the 800 times. And then there's been some drop issues with the rookie receiver that they had, and Quinton Johnson and some other things. But the other sign of this for me that I don't, not that I don't get, but that it makes it more complicated. They knew it was hard. They knew that this offense should be better than it was. They knew it should be more efficient. When even though they had a great quarterback that scored a lot of points, they changed offensive coordinator in the offseason. They convinced Kellen Moore to leave the Cowboys and take the same gig with the Chargers, which is pretty unusual for a guy that's considered successful. So they knew they needed a different change of exactly how to run things. That was the issue that they, I guess, was their final uh, assessment. And it's been worse, if, if anything, or, or exactly the same. So who do you point to at that point? There's nobody left to turn to. turn to. Is it the quarterback who's doing just something wrong that we may not know about? It's a very long-winded response, because I think it is complicated and it's confusing. But yes, at a certain point, if you're that guy, if you're the give me the ball, get out of the way, you got to win. You got to win the game at the end of that uh, at, at some point. And being an under 500 quarterback with this large of a sample size, when he's scoring 10, 13 points in the last you know couple of games, I have to point some of the blame at you. Uh, and I don't know where they go. He's signed. Obviously, he's got the long-term deal there. We'll see what they do next year. Is it the head coach? Is it another coordinator? Is it the offensive line? I kind of think it's the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Is it the running back? 
they have some guys there. They have some pieces. It doesn't make any sense that they don't score 30 points uh, every game, uh, but they struggle. So I, at some point, I think the, the onus has to fall on the quarterback. I think, first off, I think the only reason that as we record this, Brandon Staley still has a job is because the Ravens offense just kind of pooped down their leg in the second half. <laughs> like, I think if the Ravens continued to roll like they were supposed to be rolling, that man would be on the streets right now. Like, and with that being said, I think Justin Herbert gets a lot of excuses. Chargers going to charger. Brandon Staley's kind of a dweeb. Doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Kellen Moore's teeth are too big. No, no never mind. That, that was just a joke. <laughs> Obviously, just a joke. Rookie receiver. Can't catch the ball. This is classic Chargers. But look at the throws he makes on Twitter when I look at the All-22 film. Like, I don't know. It... I think he's the guy. I'm not. There's obvious. If I'm a Chargers fan, I'm still delighted to have Justin Herbert in my life. I think he's a great, you know, quarterback. But it reminds me a lot of the same people who will defend Lamar Jackson to the hilt. And God love Lamar Jackson. I love him to death. I love that he's my quarterback. I wouldn't want anybody else except Patrick Mahomes. And <laughs> but we're allowed to criticize him. And there's some people that just they're like, oh, you can't do that because he's good. Well, no, he's great. That's part of the reason you criticize him because when he's not great. The expectations are a little bit higher now, bud, especially with the contract. I don't know. Anyway, back to the defense because we went off on a long tangent there. Um, Jay stole the thunder and mentioned the defensive line. Good for him. He should. That's God love. I just love having a pass rush. Oh, my God. It's awesome. Having a pass rush again. We haven't had that in a while or, or as, you know, Chris Collinsworth, wherever the hell he was on Sunday night, pass rush would, would say. <laughs> but for me, it's Kyle Hamilton. You know, the condor of the East. Shout out Max Crosby. I'm not going to take the nickname away because Max Crosby is an incredible player and does look like a condor with that wingspan. But if if he didn't have that nickname, slap it on Kyle Hamilton right now. That dude is everywhere. Kyle Hamilton is in every freaking play on the defensive side of the football. He's in coverage, sort of, covering Keenan Allen. He's he's stuffing the run. He He's shedding blocks on screen passes, then making the shoestring ankle break like ankle tie up tackle i think kyle hamilton is one two the third most important guy on this ravens team i I really do i think it's lamar jackson i think it's roquan smith and then i think it's kyle hamilton currently you know mark andrews has an argument but the dude's leg is not in good shape right now so can't put him in that conversation at this present time I think he might be up there for what he does as a, as we've talked about before, queen of the chessboard or queen on the chessboard, excuse me, type piece where you can put him everywhere, confuse offenses, and he can do a number of different roles. Um, he is stellar. He is absolutely stellar. The defense as a whole was stellar, but Kyle Hamilton just makes eye popping plays that the, you know, the, the, the common folk like us here on this podcast, even even we can notice how much of an impact that he makes. He, he may not be able to be the condor, Tim, but uh, I just looked up the bird with the largest wingspan, and it's the wandering albatross. So, the uh, albatross! Can be the, the <laughs> I love it! Albatross. Yes! <laughs> to a 12-foot wingspan. That's, that's, man, that's crazy. Um, elsewhere, a big defensively. Bird. <laughs> Broderick, Broderick Washington, after being a healthy scratch last week, gets a sack in this game. It's great to see. Travis Jones gets a sack. The Ravens' interior line might be the best in the league at getting 
pressure against the pass, which is kind of insane. We've been saying it over and over again this episode, but this was a team year in, year out, post Terrell Suggs, could not rush the passer to save its life. Yep. And now they got like dudes on dudes on dudes everywhere along the line that can get a sack in any given play. It's nice. It makes defense a lot easier to play. And then one other shout out that I want to give is Arthur Millette. Um, Mm-hmm. signed as like a depth piece when we had the concerns of who was going to be cornerback, you know, two, three, two through six uh, on this roster. And then it turned out that cornerback one has been hurt for the longest of any of them. But <laughs> Arthur Millette played seven snaps in this football game and he had an interception to end the first half. And maybe the most important play of the game defensively on fourth and six with two minutes left. He does the little disguised blitz off the edge, the old wandering albatross disguised uh, corner corner blitz, and he has perfect technique on this. He ran at the quarterback full speed, but with his hands up mm-hmm. to block out the space behind him, yep. and then closed hard and fast directly at Herbert's waist and brought him down immediately. All that's left for Millette is to teach Odafe Owe angles and closing <laughs> on a quarterback. And boy, are we going to have some guys that can rush the passer. You have how many Raven games have we watched in the past 15 years? Or in the fourth quarter, a smaller dude had a perfect chance to bring down, name whatever quarterback you want, Ben Roethlisberger, and just kind of grabbed at his shoulders and f- flew by him. And then the quarterback's able to complete the pass and the drive keeps going. He stayed low, he kept his hands up, he put him down, he jumped at the waist and ended the play and effectively ended the game. It was amazing for a guy who's played so little and to have such an impact in seven with seven snaps in, in this ballgame. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's I, the defensive, you know, the clowning play was big, but this was the defensive play of the game. This is basically what won you the game. And, like, all for all we just talked about with Herbert and stuff, like, because of what the Ravens' offense did, they had a chance to win this game, and and this was the play that that shut the door. And it, it's it's just great to I think have so many guys, just kind of st- like like Millette stepping up. And you know we already talked about Clowney and, and Van Noy. Um, one other shout out I just do want to give. Uh, um, he comes up a lot, but Justin Matabike he somehow he picked up half a sack on the Travis Jones sack uh, somehow, um, and. Uh, it gives him 10, 10 sacks on the season, which makes him the Ravens' first 10-sack guy uh, since Terrell Suggs in 2017, which is not recent. That's several seasons ago at this point. Lamar Jackson was not on the team then. Uh, so so that was, that's, that's been encouraging. I mean, as a team, they already have 47 sacks on the year. Uh, which is one less than they had all of last season. Uh, they had 48 in the 2022 season. They're already at 47. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was huge. And, and just this pass rush that we didn't really, I think, see coming heading into the season. Certainly I didn't. I know we talked at length about <laughs> it still being our biggest concern. And uh, without these guys stepping up, it would be a concern. Ajabo, it was announced today, is officially out for the year. Tyus Bowser, who all hand up, I kind of forgot about entirely. He's still dealing with his own knee issues, uh, unfortunately. Um, but but it hasn't mattered, thankfully, because of, you know, Clowney and Van Noy coming in and, and then just Matt BK just taking a very well-timed jump in a contract year uh, that's going to make him one of the highest-paid defensive tackles he's gonna, in the league. He's going to get paid so much money. And so I hope it's money. by us. I have my Me doubts, too. but we will see. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that was that was just so huge because 
yeah, I mean, uh, do we want to dive into this? This should have been the last defensive snap of the game. The, the Ravens took was the Arthur Bullett play. It ended up yeah, not uh, being, but... Yeah, let's uh, get into this. So the game, you know, could have been, should have been over, but the Ravens do get the ball back with under two minutes. The Chargers have all three timeouts, so they can still get the, you know, the classic three timeouts, get the ball back. Uh, if you're Jace, you're probably still thinking the Chargers are just in the driver's seat uh, at this point. So you're in the scenario where the offense needs a first down. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. This final sequence was interesting because Lamar, there was two option runs on first and second down, and he ripped the ball back and took the runs himself. And it looked like kind of like that Bengals game from last season. It looked like he had decided that he was going to be taking over the game, getting this first down, Let's go home. And then on the third down, it looks like he is trying to... It's an option with Flowers, a little mesh point with Zay. It looks like he is trying to take it back. And Flowers says, F that, and keeps it, and just hits the hole and hits the second level. Some people might say that that was <laughs> almost a fumble and could have been the most disastrous thing uh, of all time if you're, uh, you know... If you're just talking about the Ravens choking and not being able to close out games, <laughs> I take it as a good sign where multiple players on the offense wanted the ball in the high-pressure moment rather than shying away from the moment when the pressure was on. That is what we need. That is how you finish games. And guess what? He took it 40 yards for a touchdown. Sure, maybe you should have gone down at the one. That will get taught at some point. I'll let Jace talk about Harbaugh uh, a bit in a bit, but... Uh, I'll, you know, I'll let you guys give your, your thoughts on that play, but I'm going to tease it to you with this fun hypothetical. If the Ravens do not get a first down on that third down play, let's say they get stuffed at the line. It would have been fourth and three at the Chargers 37 yard line. Uh, what's the call based on what we saw in the fourth quarter of this game? Uh, going for it, kicking a, was that 54 yard field goal? <laughs> or punting it uh, up three with, with a minute and a half to go. <laughs> what, what I like about this hypothetical, Antonio, is it opens up a whole can of worms to go in many different directions because there, there were so many things to it. Uh, spider webs you could go off of. I think you have to go for it there, but I don't know if they don't get the first. I think you have to go for it. I think that's just a long kick. Because, I don't know, have we mentioned this, Justin Tucker missed a 44-yard field goal, was it, uh, in the fourth quarter, um, that I don't think they should have even attempted that field goal. I feel like that was a fourth and one they should have gone for. And I think, and we've talked about Harbaugh doing this before, I think he was influenced by their failure and the near failure on their two prior fourth down attempts, you know. The first one doesn't happen. The Gus Edwards snap uh, or direct snap. The second one, he gets stoned and he only falls forward because he's Gus Edwards. But that was not blocked up well either. They nearly turned it over there. Um, so but I think it just gets in Harbaugh's head. But I think they should have gone for that that first down the first time, put the game away. They were moving the ball pretty well on that drive. Uh, he elects to kick to go up six. They miss it, of course. Uh, so if given the second chance, I, ha I can't imagine he takes the kick from even farther away that you just saw your kicker miss. Um, but I don't know. I, it, it just was part of just an overall frustrating night for me with Johnny Harbs. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I, it was the whole kind of end of the game thing and, and just some of his decision-making. I, I just, I didn't get it. I, I didn't get the first kick, you know. In the end, I'm fine with Flowers scoring. Like, you're going to win the game when you go up 10 with that little time left. But, you know, that's on Harbaugh, too, at the end of the day. Flowers said no one told him to go down. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a coaching thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what you would think, Tim, because, yeah, the, 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 fourth, the last two drives were interesting, to say the least. I don't know. Hindsight 2020, like, good on Zay for scoring. I want I want my rookie in the end zone and getting that confidence and don't love the Cristiano Ronaldo celebration like let's you know let's be a little bit more original than that come on now um, you know old, old man take I don't love my guy having all these pre preconceived celebrations I just want him to get in the end zone like the Cowboys stuff in the turkey leg in the Salvation Army uh, pot. <laughs> but in the hypothetical. I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I'm torn because I want in the moment I would be like, go for it. In the moment, sitting there on my couch, well, standing with my hands on my knees at this point, <laughs> I would be saying, go for it, do it, go for it, gus up the middle, don't, don't overcomplicate this, don't do something stupid, no double reverse pass flea flickers, just the gus bus keeps rolling for three yards and we move on. But the way the defense was playing, and. I don't know. I'm not trying to be the Justin Herbert hater here, but like pinning them deep and letting that defense say, show me, let's go one more time. Let's go one more time. I would almost like I'm whispering this because I don't know. I would almost punt it. I would almost punt it. (laughs) I don't know. It's a weak opinion. I don't, as I say it, I'm turning the other way. And then as I say that, I'm going back to the punt. So I'm not too sure, but. Overall, I mean, if we're just talking about the end zone thing, you know, I, I have no issue with Zay scoring there. I, if it came back to bite him, yeah, sure. We're, we're doing the first 40 minutes on why can't the coaches understand that you have to go down to that situation. This is an entire systematic failure from this team, and it starts at the top, yada, yada, yada. We're doing the whole thing, and I'm, and I'm leading the charge with Jace on it. I know that. And so this is purely a hindsight's 2020 type argument, but look. It was fun watching him go into the end zone. Zay needs some touchdowns. He's been dynamic as it is, and like at that point, you're opening up a two point or a two score lead. Excuse me, I'm I'm kind of cool with it in that situation. And scoring two touchdowns against the team that picked a different wide receiver immediately before you were selected that's gotta that's gotta feel pretty sweet too. So yep. I can see why he'd be yeah, fired yep. up to get in the end zone. You picked the wrong one, LA. You, you <laughs> screwed up. All right, let's, let's kind of run through the last few intangibles here. We're going a bit long on this game because there's no other game to uh, to preview for, for next week. But oh, oh, what order do I want to go in here? <laughs> um, Jason, I hate I hated Jason Garrett. I have to say it. Um, sure, you can tune him out, I guess. But I, I like learning things during the game, and I like seeing uh, analysis and what's going on, and he feels like... I don't know, like my dad's friend who works in a bank or something giving it. He's just, he's not engaging. No. He's not particularly incisive with his comments. He was terrible in my opinion. And I don't want him <laughs> to be in that role ever again. Um, the Harbaugh stuff, the challenges, what's going on. Uh, he didn't challenge two very clear to me first downs that were marked short. 
and then he did challenge uh, a forward pass that was very clearly not a forward pass. Oh for three uh, on the challenges for Harbaugh, <laughs> in addition to all the other uh, weird stuff. Gerald Everett doing the Ray Lewis dance after the Chargers' only touchdown of the game coming halfway through the fourth quarter is Chargers art. I wish I could buy that uh, and let it just appreciate over time. Enjoy going 6-11, and 11, Gerald Everett. We'll be in the postseason um, mattering. So I, I love that for them. <laughs> and then Justin Tucker. Oh, boy. Uh, I kind of proudly said that I wasn't concerned uh, after the last couple of misses and blocks because it was other people's fault and he's kicking 59 yarders and okay, that's not a given anywhere. And then he missed that kick that Jace mentioned and he missed it badly. That was one of the like ugliest field goal attempts he has had. It looked like kind of like a duck. It was just, like sideways. He doesn't do that. And now I'm officially on, I'm, I'm concerned. I almost think like, is there an injury here that we don't know about? Like some muscle fatigue, like what, what happened there? And he even had another one. He made two before that. I think the 48 yarder was good. Like it looked good. And it, but even the other 40 something yarder kind of like, didn't look great. It didn't look like him just like drilling, you know, drilling the ball where it's going 10 yards over the net. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm concerned. I am now officially concerned because I think it's in his head, and that's not what you want with a kicker. Uh, so what 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 do you guys want to attack here, uh, intangible wise? Or, or please tell me I sh- I'm wrong about this. Please tell me I'm wrong about the Justin Tucker fear. Uh, I'll, I'll start here because you actually nailed all the intangibles I had, save for one that's stupid. So I'm just gonna you know do that one last. Um, yeah, we're we're officially on I'm worried about Justin Tucker watch and we're getting to the point where like I don't want him to ruin how good he's been if he autom- if he just starts flaming out. You know, he's won a Super Bowl. It's hard for kickers to get into the Hall of Fame. I think he's already a Hall of Fame kicker at this point. He's got a bunch of records, what have you. But him like disintegrating into I'm worried about this 40-yarder could really ruin that reputation and I don't want that for our favorite opera singing boy. So it's, it's concern. I'm concerned. I am officially not just like, oh, chip shot, eh, whatever. For, 47, I'm going to take a pee. Like, he's got it. Like, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. That's not what's happening. I'm this, officially worried. Go ahead, Jason. Well, well, this is crazy to me. I feel like I'm, am I, I'm somehow the positive one on this issue. I'm, ter- I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of what's happening with him right now. I, I, I'm, I'm not worried, I feel like, at all. I mean, that. I don't know. I, I think two things can be true. This is the worst season of his career, like by a mile, statistically. He's hitting at 80%, uh, and his his previous low was, in 2015, he hit 82%, but um, he missed, or he only missed one kick under 50, and he went four for 10 from 50, and they had, I remember, like Harbaugh had him try like a bunch of 60-yarders, like right before halves and stuff like that that season. So this is the worst season of his career, like statistically, like for sure. But I think, like... You know, it looks bad, but he's 21 for 26 overall. That was his first miss under 50. Um, And, like, I think it's possible, Tim, he might not be, like, best of all time good anymore, but that still makes him, like, a good kicker. Like, 
that the Ravens don't need to find a new kicker. I think that's... I'm not, I'm I'm not saying cut the guy. I'm not saying cut the guy, but, yeah. like, I'm a little worried about Mr. I mean, automatic, yeah. you know? Yeah, he might be less automatic, but I, I still think on the whole, like, like I, I was watching some highlights, and Daniel Carlson shanked uh, in a pure dome, shanked, like, a 30-yarder for the Raiders. I think kicking's just hard. I think there's a lot of bad kickers, you know? We saw Matt Amendola for the Texans. They lost that game. He hit mm-hmm. off the crossbar from 58. It wasn't great. Tucker, I saw, he said something about his feet not being set. And I think this ties into just what, whatever was going on, just to kind of jump off on a different <laughs> point, but whatever was going on with Harbaugh and the coaching staff in this game, they seem to just kind of be asleep at the wheel to me. I mentioned some of them, but like the whole special teams unit, well, A, they've been off all year. I don't know if that's just a Nick Moore's hurt and they have a different long snapper thing. It's been very the strange. Key, I, the key to it all. <laughs> yeah, they had like another long punt return, I think I'd mentioned. And, and, but and, so on that kick he missed, they snapped that ball with like possibly no time left. It could have been a delay of game, of which they'd already taken a delay of game on an extra point earlier in the game. For whatever reason, they were just really struggling snapping the ball uh, on time for kicks in this game. And Harbaugh said today, uh, Monday, as we record, they were having, quote, administrative issues all night. And, uh, you know, what does that mean? That's your job. But, again, we've talked about all these things, I think, with Harbaugh before. But, uh, you know, when when Tucker says he doesn't think he has his feet under him, it's like, because you had to somehow rush off a snap when you knew you were kicking a field goal. It just is very confusing I kind of think that falls on Harbaugh at the end. So I don't know. I'm not too worried. Antonio, you mentioned the challenges with Harbaugh. That was odd. Some really weird end of the half decision making. So Lamar gets sacked and he fumbles the ball and there's eight seconds left. And it's a third down. So it's coming up on fourth down. Harbaugh takes a timeout with eight seconds left and facing fourth down to then not throw a Hail Mary. Um... Lamar's pass just kind of goes sailing out of bounds, giving the Chargers three seconds to run their own Hail Mary with the guy with one of the strongest arms in the league. It was just a really baffling decision not to let that one just go to the half. When you're getting the ball out of halftime, too, I, I don't know I don't know what the calculus was there, but it was wrong, whatever <laughs> whatever they were trying to do. Not, not correct. Um, yeah, I mentioned the not going for it on Tucker's thing. Flowers saying no one told him not to score. That's on the coaches for not considering the possibility they could <laughs> not just get a first down, but a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was just kind of a weird a weird night all the way around from, from Harbaugh. I know this was about a 5.30 p.m. kickoff uh, local time, which is earlier, I think, than any game or later, still later than any game we've kicked off. I know by 8 p.m. Harbaugh's usually probably eating steak and milk and in bed uh, on a normal Sunday. So. Jim? <laughs> um, so that was strange. Um, and then, But the other side of the coin, I do want to just touch on one other. Um, I have a few other odds and ends, but uh, w- one other thing I just want to mention as it comes to coaching is I think we saw right away what separates, for all the complaints we have about John Harbaugh, what separates him from a guy like Brandon Staley, uh, when the Chargers have to use a timeout immediately, like literally the first play, because they have 12 guys on the field, that's a bad look. Um, there was some confusion on one, I believe it was the Chargers' first possession on what down it was, because the, the down judge, for whatever reason, they didn't turn the ticker over. Staley seemed completely unprepared for that. But John Harbaugh and the Ravens knew what down it was, so that's a bad look. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the Chargers, they take an undisciplined penalty, too. Uh, 
you know, uh, definitely Herbert gets hit out of bounds of several steps out of bounds by Geno Stone and they don't fl- throw the flag on that first drive. Uh, and then the Chargers take just a completely unnecessary penalty getting in their face that they never really showed. But, uh, you know, that's on the coach. You guys, you got to have discipline. And that's on Herbert, too, to some degree, not getting his guys out and saying, hey, it's third down. Let's score a touchdown here. That could have maybe changed the game. The game, you know, that's a three-point game in the fourth quarter because they don't really get close to the end zone for another quarter and a half, two quarters after this. So, you know, I think that was uh, – Tim, I think you mentioned uh, it's kind of surprising Staley's still employed. Um, They're four and seven now. And I think we saw all the reasons why he probably won't be employed after the season because it was just – it was a disaster class for (laughs) the the Chargers in many respects on that, especially on that first series. Yeah, I'm not going to belabor the point on Harbaugh. You guys did it. Uh, But a truly baffling game from him and one of the few times that, like, you know, we've mentioned it before, but, like, you know, the Bill Simmons podcast doesn't need plug here. It's very popular. You listen to that diehard Patriots homer who's now trying to salvage his own um, mentality and, and you know, mental fortitude by saying, oh, no, we're intentionally tanking. It's fine. Uh, don't worry. They had a really good draft, though. Stellar draft by the New England Patriots. That's really making an impact for the league's worst team. Um, but outside of Carolina, I should say. But he made a really good point of, like, Harbaugh might just not be, like, this automatic top five guy that everybody is just like, Oh yeah. Top five coaches in the NFL. Well, you got you know, John Arbaugh been there 16 years with the Ravens. Just uh, gotta be up there in the car. Now, now he might be like six to 10 and the Ravens are just like, yeah, that's, you know, we'll take the eighth best coach in the league. That's fine. We'll just have that. I think that's where he lives and that's fine. Whatever. Um, we did the Tucker stuff already. Uh, yeah. Jason Garrett, th- there needs to be an alarm. This is not an original thought. Everybody's talked about this, but my God, him doing the Collinsworth slide <laughs> into the into the screen, and all of a sudden he's there next to Mike Tirico. I like I yelled like it was a scary movie, like I was watching <laughs> Scream on Halloween. Like, oh, oh no, what? No, 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 no. We can't have Jason Garrett here. What are we doing? We, I don't even. We, like, text, <laughs> we texted each other like simultaneously in disbelief, Tim, uh, into the group. <laughs> I was stunned. I was stunned that they put that man in a primetime game. On Thanksgiving week, like feast week, as they call it in college basketball, but also football, where there's games everywhere. It's the final. I mean, as you're, you know, you as you're listening to this, you've already watched the thriller between the Bears and the Vikings. But this kind of the end of the holiday weekend, as it were, in terms of a footballing sense, where there's football, football, football all the time between college and pros. Then Jason Effing Garrett comes on the TV. That guy stinks. And I, I've had my problems with color commentators before. Trust me. This podcast started with me basically doing a Dan Fouts update every single week. And it was terrible. You know, when I was like 12, I hated Dan Deerdorf. Do nothing about his playing <laughs> career, but hated that guy to the core because he was awful and loved the Pittsburgh Steelers and never admitted it, but he truly did. The, um, anyway, Jason Garrett, terrible. Shouldn't have been there. I was begging for Chris Collinsworth, and I, I like Collinsworth. I'm not a love Collinsworth guy, but I was begging for him because Mike Tirico already needs help. That dude, not great at play-by-play either. So that crew, just ugh, ugh, terrible. Um, yeah, Gerald Everett doing the Ray Lewis dance. That crap pisses me off more than anything, and that's how I know I still have my 
my deep-seated <laughs> fandom a little bit. When he pulled that and they were like, oh, you know, Jared Everett's fr- Jared Everett is from the Baltimore area. And he always idolized Ray Lewis growing up. And I was like, that's not his dance. He can't do that. No, no, that's our dance. He's not allowed to do that, even if he is from the area, even if he supported that player. Don't do it against the Ravens. And, and you lost. And like Antonio said, um, much more soundly than I could, enjoy your 6-11 and season with your quarterback who's never going to win a damn thing. Um, my, my final intangible before we move on. I know we're running very long on this game. Um, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this before, but I don't, I'm really tired of those weird NFL films commercials that are stuck in like 2005 that are updating you about a game that happened three weeks ago. And it's like always sponsored by like Subway or Dr. Pepper or, or something like that. (laughs) And it's like, the Browns came back from 17 points down to defeat the Baltimore da, 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 da. like that music behind it and that game happened in like mid October and they're like here's this new latest they forgot that we all have a computer in our pocket that we are constantly checking so that we know news up to the second that it happens at this point um you know if Elon lets you but I I just think those commercials really pissed me off. And maybe it was in an irrational point of the game and maybe I was already worked <laughs> up about the Ravens trying to blow something, but I had to I had to say it on the podcast because I did text you both about it too that those commercials really get on my nerves and they've gotten on my nerves for a long time of like it wasn't even a game from last week. They do a game that was like 2 weeks ago and they're like, "Do you know that the Eagles beat the Chiefs?" on bad example that was last week whatever pull it did you know that the ravens beat the lions in mid-october yeah i did know that i i did know that that happened to what i'm i'm aware thank you steve sable and all of your employees I'm, I'm aware i know this happened um yeah those piss me off and for no reason and they shouldn't but they do it's the uh it's the magic johnson of nfl <laughs> yes <commercials>, that's exactly <laughs> what it is yes uh if you know you know if you don't just you know go to twitter um all right Let's turn to the NFL. Let's go to the AFC North first. The Steelers beat the Bengals barely, uh, and I lose my very predictable uh, Bengals bet um, because it turns out that Browning isn't very good and can't really move an offense. So the Steelers win that game and somehow have seven wins now. Meanwhile, the Browns get smacked by the Denver Broncos of all teams. Uh, so we now have a point where the Ravens are nine and three, the Steelers and the Browns back even at seven and four, and then the Bengals now at five and six. Um, unclear what's going to happen below Baltimore. It does seem like the Ravens are at this point in the driver's seat, um, barring health basically to win this division. But what's happening with the Steelers? What's happening with the Browns? Unclear if either of them can score. Uh, or win football games, it's all very confusing, but are we still in, are, the, are both of these teams still in the running, do you guys think, to grab wild card spots, or is it just going to end up being one or the other? I, I started to think that both of them might be out, uh, but the Steelers keep winning stupid football games. What do you guys think on, on how the uh, North will shake out? I, I, so last week, I think I said I favored the Browns to emerge over the Steelers. But then since we, I believe we've recorded, the Steelers fired Matt Canada and promptly had their first 400-yard game since week two of the 2020 season. <laughs> um, 
and that's a long time from now. You know, Ben Roethlisberger was their quarterback then. Was not even the season he retired. That's how long ago that was. But yeah, you mentioned it. They still scored 16 points at the end of the day. Uh, and it should be noted, you know, 400 yards against the Bengals. The bro stuff has kind of overshadowed that the Bengals have had a big-time defensive slide this season. The Bengals are 31st in yards against this year. So is it that impressive the Steelers managed 400 yards against, like, one of the worst defenses in the league? I don't know. That being said, I do think we're just kind of hitting a point of too much attrition for the Browns. They, they like, I, I think the Browns might be a better team. I think they might, you know... At, I'm not going to say better coach because yeah, Tomlin keeps pulling these stupid wins out of his butt and has all season, and I think we'll continue to do so. Uh, but uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson gets knocked out of this game, like brutal shot. Um, PJ Walker takes over, which means a very very real chance that Joe Flacco is an active NFL quarterback again next week and going to play games at the pace the Browns quarterback, uh, quarterbacks are on. And I think even more concerning is Miles Garrett got hurt in. A not insignificant way. I believe I heard he said he like couldn't really lift his left arm, so that seems like a minor issue. I'm sure he could still you know wreak some havoc, but for me that kind of puts the Steelers suddenly back in the driver's seat of that um, it, it, between the two of them for a wild card berth. And I think we do only end up getting one kind of at the end of the day. I think it's going to be us and probably the Steelers because it just seems like. The Browns are just losing too much. I mean, if you're going to be starting like Joe Flacco in like week 14, I, I just don't know that that they can kind of hold on uh, <laughs> to their, their tenuous kind of playoff grasp. But they are in a spot right now. They're 7-4 and four and they are a game up. So they might still fall into a playoff spot. So I guess it's possible both of them make it. But, but I actually, this week, I feel better about the Steelers given their health and just sort of slightly, slightly improved offense. I'll just say this. I could totally see um, sort of like last year, but a bit inverse where the final game of the season, the Ravens don't need it because they're locked into like the two or three seed. They uh, rest a lot of players against the Steelers who the Steelers end up winning and then getting into the playoffs to face the Ravens in the wild card <laughs> round. Um, and then the Ravens lose to the Steelers in like a 16 to five game or something terrible like that. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I hate I, I'm, You know what? I'm jumping in. No, fine, Tim. They fine. will not lose to Kenny Pickett three times. It will not happen. They've lost they've six lost, to, they've lost six yeah. to seven. They've lost six to seven to the Steelers um, over these last couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, I... No, I don't feel bad for the Browns at all. I, I feel no, <laughs> not a single ounce of remorse for the Cleveland Browns uh, at all. Um, but yeah, I think the Steelers are clear number two now because... They have a quarterback who can stand on two feet. And God bless Joe Flacco, but not going to wish you the best when you're playing for that team in Ohio. The Steelers next month also. <sighs> home to Arizona. When? Home to New England. When? At Indianapolis. When? <laughs> home to the Bengals. That's that's their next month. <laughs> Because of course, because of course, they get two Cincinnati games after Joe Burrow is hurt. Yep. Because that's uh, that's how they do. It. It's almost like a guaranteed ten wins for them, and that has to be a, a wild card spot. It has to be the Browns. I think are going to struggle a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Elsewhere in the NFL, uh, Bills Eagles was a dogfight, and the, the, I would say the best game of the weekend, and almost you know, haha, almost looked like uh, a potential Super Bowl 
preview, except the Bills may not even make the playoffs at all uh, to have a chance. Jake Elliott hit a 59-yard field goal in the pouring rain to force overtime in this game. That's uh, Justin Tucker. What we uh, what we so miss from you. No, just mm-hmm. kidding. But uh, an obvious, unbelievable field goal, and that game just went back and forth. Eagles up early, then the Bills taking a 10-point lead, and then it goes back and forth, and then it looks like it's over three different times. Games go Game goes into overtime. Josh Allen, they get the toss, so they're going to try to get that Touchdown to just end it entirely. Josh Allen 0 for 6 in the overtime in his career. They get down to the 30-yard line. It's third down. Deep ball to the end zone. And he misses, or Gabe Davis just isn't paying attention, and the ball drops incomplete. And from that moment, I think everybody could see the writing on the wall a little bit, and the Eagles end up scoring a touchdown on their ensuing drive to win by three points. The Bills is who I want to talk about from this game. Because in losing that game, they are absolutely with their backs up against the wall. They are now 6-6, six and six, kind of on the outside looking in just to grab a wild card spot, which seems crazy. And then the other issue is that their schedule is very difficult. But, oh my goodness, could they be the Ravens' best friend down the stretch in helping with seeding? The Bills will play the Chiefs in two weeks. And then they will play the Dolphins in Week 18. Could the Bills, who are a pretty good football team, probably better than 6-6, six and six, could they steal one or both of these games in their crisis of getting into the postseason and just kind of help the Ravens a little bit slide into that one seat? The Ravens obviously have their own challenges ahead. None of this is going to just go chalk. It never does. But the Bills, a tough opponent with a couple of good teams that they could potentially, you know, put some hurting on uh, in terms of the the seeding in the AFC. So an interesting situation there with the Bills. It it's such uh, such a double edged sword though because it requires the Ravens to take care of their own business. Because if they don't, there's a very real chance the Bills. If the Bills, you know, you knock off the Chiefs, you knock off the Dolphins. But what if the Ravens lose to the Dolphins? They lose to the Jags. What if they lose to the San Francisco 49ers, which they definitely will on Christmas night? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a very real chance, even if the Bills win some of these games, if the Ravens kind of stumble, then you're playing a team that people had pegged as a prime Super Bowl contender in a 2-7 matchup. And I have no interest in seeing the Buffalo Bills on wildcard weekend. And that's what kind of just watching Sunday's game left me conflicted because there were moments where I was like, Josh Allen looks like the second best quarterback in football at moments during this game. And then he throws a bad interception and you're like, Oh, right. That's why (laughs) he's thrown a pick in eight straight games now and why they're six and five or whatever they were entering the game. And, um, but, but, but then you still think they're going to win. And you're like, who do I want to win this game? And you're like, I don't love the Eagles, but it would be, I don't want the bills to make the playoffs. But then I'm like, but the bills haven't lost enough games to get out of the seven seed. It's, it, it left me very conflicted and twisted me and my brain into a pretzel. Um, but it was an incredible game. I still can't accept that this bills team will miss the playoffs. They seem too good. Like there were moments during Sunday where I'm like, Josh Allen, like, they look like a team that could win the Super Bowl. When they're up 10 in the third quarter at Philadelphia, a 9-1 and team, you're like, this team has what it takes, and then it just seems to fall apart. And then they come back, like you said, Antonio, and you think they're still going to do it, and then it just doesn't happen. So, I don't know. I, I 
it's a weird season for them. They feel like a team that might be heading towards a coaching change one way or another. Maybe, you know, we talk about our own, has Harbaugh gone stale? Maybe McDermott's been there a while too. He's already fired their offensive coordinator midseason. Like, and their defensive coordinator last year. <laughs> right, yeah. So he, he's at the same point Harbaugh is where there's no one left to fire. And if they miss the playoffs, that's a that's a problem for a team whose goal was championship or bust this season. So I don't know. They're a weird team. I, I don't know what I want them to do. I think I want them to just miss the playoffs, even if that hurts the Ravens for seeding. So I think I'm rooting against them to win just because I, I want to play your Dorian Thompson Robinsons. If the Ravens are going to have to play on wildcard weekend and there's like a, what, a, a, one, a three out of four chance they do, right? Um, I want them to play Dorian Thompson Robinson or Joe Flacco or even Kenny Pickett, even though we lose to the Steelers all the time. I, I want that. I don't want Josh Allen. Or Gardner Minshew. Um, I'll be completely honest. As Antonio was asking the question, I saw a tweet uh, from the NFL. After 12 weeks, the Ravens lead the league in sacks, so here's all 47 of them. It's just a super cut of the Ravens' sacks this season. I've been watching that while Jason's been talking. I'm going to be just – I can't lie to the listener. It's pretty great. You should find it on – at NFL. They tweeted it at 5 o'clock on Monday night. Um no, I kind of want the Bills to help us. If the Bills sneaking into the playoffs means we get the one seed because they helped us by beating the Chiefs and, and the Dolphins, yeah, sign me up for that. And then if we lose and we can be like, oh, my God, the rest versus rust argument, that'll be super fun for the podcast and content is great. Thumbs up. Um, no, 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 but seriously, I, w- I would, you know, ideally I would like them to still to win those two games and then miss the playoffs by some tiebreaker. That would be the best case scenario but they've got a lot of issues man and mcdermott clearly just isn't the guy you know the the thing and i know a lot of it's because of his background but the thing you got to credit harbaugh for is that he's never one of these well i'm going to take over the play calling on offense or defense and for him it might be keeping him in in a job and i say it because a mcdermott type is like well i'm going to take over the defense now and the defense is still not great. They're still doing this soft, like, shell zone coverage and letting Jalen Hurts just walk down the field. And guess what? There's no one to blame anymore. That's on you, homie. Like, that, that is your fault. Harbaugh never really has that. McDermott, I think, either any way this season goes outside of a Super Bowl win for the Bills, you know, his he's on the guillotine. Like, he's done in Buffalo, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I – I would almost rather face – I'll say I'll, – I'll cap it this way. I would rather face the Bills than the Browns or the Steelers, and that's just because I'm an AFC North. I'm terrified. I'm just terrified of facing a ter- team a third time, even though that really doesn't matter, as we've seen the number of times the Steelers beat the Ravens in our childhood at the third time. Oh, you got to watch out for the Ravens on the third time. Doesn't matter. The Steelers win in the playoffs. <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen a number of times. The Patriots – well, not really the Patriots, but, you know, it happens all the time. I don't want to see the Browns. I don't want to see the Steelers. Um, I – I don't want to see the Bills, but that's the playoffs, baby. Like, that's what it is. got to face good teams in the playoffs. It's not going to be a cakewalk. So, if they can help us get to the one seed, put them in the dance. I'm fine with that. Yeah. If the one seed then means a chance to play the Bills in the next round, I think I would still take that as well. Uh, We will see a couple other games quickly, and then I'm going to turn back to the Ravens, actually. But um, Jaguars beat the Texans essentially by the the width of a goalpost. Um, the 58-yard field goal hitting the goalpost for the Texans. Um, and the Jags kind of take take control uh, of the AFC South there with that win. 
uh, Giants Pats LOL. Just it's un- <laughs> it's uh, unbelievable. Go- don't look at the highlights, but do look at the highlights. I think the Pats have gone under the over under point total in like. <sighs> 90% of the games, and I I have tracked this every week, and I've bet it zero times, and I'm frustrated because I should have been doing this every week. That's gambling. Uh, the Chiefs turn a 14-point deficit to start the game into a 31-17 win, as only the Chiefs can. Uh, I, I think they still have uh, issues in the passing game, but... Boy, they're they're figuring things out just in time. Uh, well, lo- love those, gotta love those Chiefs. You know those the uh, pesky underdog Chiefs uh, once again fighting for the one seed and, and just never having to play a road playoff game under Patrick Mahomes, which is great. <laughs> um, I, I want to turn because the Ravens are on a bye. I want to turn to uh, the playoff picture and and where the Ravens fit into it. But if you guys have other uh, games that you want to go over quickly, I, I do want to give you guys a minute for that. Well. The only thing I kind of had what was interesting kind of off the Chiefs point is at various points between Friday and Sunday, because that was when the Dolphins played, the Chiefs, Dolphins, and Jags, who are now all 8-3, and three, uh, occupied the number one seed before the Ravens took it over again. So uh, it's definitely going to be a battle down the stretch. We got no help from, I thought briefly we were going to get a big boost from the Raiders, but like you said, that 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 turned around in a hurry. Really thought the Texans might do it. Uh, it also didn't happen. And, of course, that sets up a yet a huge, another huge Sunday night football matchup down the road for, for the Ravens against the Jaguars that will pr- possibly directly determine either the number one seed or number two seed. Uh, it was frustrating in that sense this weekend just to, to – to, to feel like you've had such a good season and yet to see three to, like when Sunday night football kicked off the Ravens I believe were actually the number four seed so it's all everything's tight there's just parody everywhere in the NFL and that's just kind of how it is yeah I mean that's the biggest point for me from this weekend is that you know we can lament how the Ravens have not been as good as we want them to be uh, for you know for for minutes and minutes and hours and hours on this podcast. But the fact of the matter is that the, the league is kind of just in a mediocre state. I, I don't have a ton outside of just Thanksgiving football is great. You know, just having <laughs> Thursday and then the Friday game, by the way, Black Friday game at three o'clock. Shout out the NFL purely for Amazon it's for Amazon to make money where they had like the QR code where you could scan right into the Amazon app and do Black Friday deals and. I myself have purchased some things on Black Friday and maybe may or may not have used those QR codes. But yeah, I I just it's it's fun to have that much football on a kind of a long weekend that you get to relax and um it, it overall is fun to watch. And part of that was um man, we thought the butt fumble was funny and <laughs> the Jets just continue to jet. Um throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the half that got ran back 99 yards for a touchdown by Javon Holland. You've seen it. We don't need to talk about it, but it's just every time that I think I'm miserable, I realize that I'm not a New York Jets fan. Like it's just, it's one of those things. Uh, and then a little late breaking news for Antonio and Jace here as, uh, as I'm looking at stuff as we're recording uh, about, let's see about five 30 on Monday night. It was broken uh, by ESPN that the Las Vegas Raiders have waived veteran cornerback Marcus Peters. 
might be time for a reunion. Does Marcus Peters want to come home for a little bit for a late run? Antonio's shaking his head. I tend to agree. But do just, we need Marcus Peters? I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. Just it, the little cornerback depth. Maybe he le- learns to blitz off the edge. What have you? Just some interesting Ravens-related news there. Um, but yeah, overall, you guys kind of covered it on, on a on a fun Thanksgiving weekend of football. All right, let's turn quickly for this little my uh, assessment at the bye, um, because I want to talk about the quote-unquote championship window that term gets thrown around a lot for different teams or different players this year even more than when lamar was on the rookie deal seems like the year it it kind of has to happen that's the that's my spicy hot take uh to lead this segment and here's why um we have guys like van noy guys like Clowney that are almost certainly gone next year and they're having great late career seasons. These weren't just guys that we needed late in the offseason, August, September, and they've been playing replacement level, you know, fill in, eat snaps. They've been plus players, both of them. It's been a miracle that we were able to get uh, plus skill and plus success players, veteran players, this late in the offseason. Both on one-year deals will both be making more than what we paid them this year by other teams next year. I would be fairly certain about that. Uh, Beckham is probably gone. He signed too big of a deal, too big of a one-year deal. The Ravens will very likely not turn around and offer him another 10 to $15 million, uh, one-year deal. He's almost certainly gone. Then you have the big questions of, for Matabike, the big question for Patrick Queen, having career years kind of in their primes. You have Lamar, who's still on the franchise tag amount this year. That number will jump next year, and then the year after that, and then the year after that, once his deal kicks in. You have Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, who is apparently, and I don't like this, so that's why I'm saying apparently, uh, a top head coach candidate for next season. We've joked a few times that they should keep him in the building with the promise of head coach in waiting. I don't, I'm not sure how practical that is. Uh, And if he has a guaranteed head coaching job, why wouldn't he just go take that? He might be gone next year. Then you pair that with everything else happening in the AFC. The Chiefs obviously are not as dominant on both sides of the ball as they have been. That offense looks a little bit, it's a little bit less explosive. The Bills, we just talked about them. They're down this year. Burrow, out for the Bengals. Rodgers, out for the Jets. Watson out for the Browns. There's a there. Oh, here's what word I'm gonna use. There's the window. <laughs> you can see it. It's so clear. The Ravens, compared to many other seasons, actually doing very well in the injury department. There's this minor chance that Mark Andrews comes back in the postseason. That would be amazing. Other than that, they're in pretty good shape everywhere else on the field. This is the year, I think. <laughs> And I want to, you know, I don't want to get too concerned where if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to get harder and harder and harder every year after this. But it just kind of feels like they've struck uh, a little bit of lightning in a bottle with a couple of different signings here and there. And they're at that point where they just don't have to shed salary and shed talented players. They have five games remaining starting in a couple of weeks. The Rams, who are five and six, that's a home game. Then they have to travel to the Jaguars at 8-3, and three, and then to the 49ers, who are 8-3. and three. 
home to the Dolphins at 8-3. and three. That's a fun stretch. <laughs> and then the final game of the season at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a pretty open-ended question to you guys, but, uh, yeah, how big is this window? Is it actually, is it, are we in a sunroom? Uh, and, you know, should you guys be saying, Antonio, settle down? It's Lamar Jackson, perennial MVP, candidate. This will exist every year. Or is the window like the little the little porthole in the submarine that that is like, no, no, no. We've seen our quarterback get a big deal. It becomes very difficult to add talent after that. This might be really it, and then we'll have some fun years after that, but there won't be the, the legitimate attempt to get a Super Bowl. Hard agree. Hard, <laughs> hard, hard agree. And to not belabor any points that you have made, but the veteran talent and the level of the production that you're getting from said veteran talent, who the hell knows what's going to happen with a Mike McDonald. You know, I've said it on this podcast almost all season. Now I would back the Brinks truck up and make him the coach in waiting and tell him that and make him the highest paid coordinator in the national football league. I would do that. Who knows? Somebody comes in with a godfather offer. Someone down 95 with a new ownership looking to make a splash. Something like that happens. A crazy owner who has brass balls on his desk in Carolina wants to make a splash. There's a guy down there that just got fired. There's nobody. You lose a Mike McDonald. And then also, the like we've mentioned you know, a couple of times in this podcast tonight, is... The league is kind of mediocre this year. I think Tom Brady was right for all the, you know, ESPN's having fun getting a news story out of that for three days now. But there's no elite team in the National Football League right now. So this is when the this is the time you strike when the Chiefs ain't the Chiefs and the Eagles. I know they're 10 and one, but they're not the Eagles from last year. And the Bills are certainly not the Bills. And the Bengals don't have Joe Burrow. And and there's a number of quarterback injuries outside of that. I think this is I. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said and everything I just added on to it, that this is the year for the Baltimore Ravens. Do I think they'll do it? I don't know. I, I, I said that I was more optimistic than Jace uh, <laughs> to start this podcast. As we as we talk, I'm probably, you know, right around the same as Jace. But, but yeah, I, I don't disagree that this is probably the, the easiest time to strike. Not the easiest time, but the, the time to strike. Uh, in, in you know any way shape or form yeah it, it, it is hard because when you do have a quarterback as good as Lamar you will be competitive every year and that's certainly the Ravens operating you know mantra I guess is, is they want to be in the mix every year and I think they will be largely they always kind of are but this does feel like and while yes I did say I don't think they'll win the Super Bowl and I stand by that this does feel like their best chance to uh, if they're going to do it this year. But, I mean, we're going to find out a lot. You you laid out that schedule, Antonio. Like, it, there's a chance it's like a two and three finish. <laughs> and you're going from we're nine and three today to, you know, you're, you're 11 and six and like the number three seed playing host to the Steelers on wildcard weekend. And I don't know. It, it's, it's so weird because, like, I feel like every possibility is sort of on the table with this team. Like, I am not going to be shocked at all if the Ravens blow a game and lose uh, uh, their wild card game. It, it just, they, they've not been great in the playoffs for a decade now. And uh, I don't know. So I guess I'm talking about both, out of both sides of my mouth again. Because, yeah, this team will be different this 
year. But there are things next season, like, you know, another year is a Flowers, another year Keaton Mitchell. There's reasons to be optimistic, but, you know, like Tim said, and you guys said, um, there's questions, certainly with the free agents. I think there's questions, I for me personally, about both t- starting tackles, I would say, given their, their injury and age and just... Ongo- mainly the ongoing injury problems. So yeah, if they're going to do something, this is the year. But uh, I mean, I think we'll learn a lot because if you if you close strong, you should beat the Rams. But even they're a good team, they're you know competitive at least. Uh, but if they can steal some of these big road games and, and get that number one seed, you know, having a buy is like a playoff win. Many people are saying so. It would just be be huge. Um, and just I guess one one other final for me, Ravens point this week I, I meant to mention and i think deserves mentioning is you know we should at least celebrate them being nine and three certainly that means they've secured another winning season and i know i certainly take it for granted um <laughs> you can tell based on everything i say on this every week but you really shouldn't you know take winning seasons for granted in the nfl as we kind of talked about with the, the league as a whole because for all the complaining I do, the Ravens are one of the best franchises in the NFL. They are in the mix every season. Um, they've only had five losing seasons in the entire 21st century, which is what, 23 seasons now, right? So th- they do a pretty good job of staying in the mix every year. Now, I certainly think this is their their best Super Bowl opportunity in quite a while, certainly since 2019. Um, but will it happen? I have my doubts. It's just really hard. It's really hard to win the Super Bowl. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt there's going to be some big changes, uh, necessary changes, I think, next year. In order to secure that one seed, the Ravens, I would say, likely have to go 4-1 and one in these five games to just kind of, like, take it. You know, I, I don't think any other teams are just going to run it out um, of the ones that are in contention with them be it the, the Chiefs or the Dolphins or the Jags. Well, the Jags wouldn't be able have, to. Have you seen the Actually, Chiefs? Neither of them would. Have, <laughs> have you seen the Chiefs' schedule? They do play the Bills, but it's it's not it's not a murder's row, unfortunately. They're at the Packers this upcoming week. They're at the Patriots. They're home against the Raiders. They're home against the Burrowless Bengals, and then they're at the Chargers to close the season in a stadium that'll be 90% Chiefs fans. So, yeah. Uh, let's go Buffalo uh, is all I can <laughs> say there. Uh, all right, let's get to the gambling section then. Uh, I went 2-1 and one last week. I have won uh, teases in back-to-back weeks, which is plus 160. You know, all these game lines that we take are usually minus 110, so winning a couple of teasers is, is some plus money there. This week, uh, I had three picks, and it's just, I mean, they're just, I don't love them on a, on a personal level. I don't love these picks, but I kind of, I have to take them, um, and I think that's going to work. It's Colts, minus two at the Tennessee Titans. One of these teams is on a winning streak and trying to make a playoff spot, and the other one kind of is floundering and can't score 20 points and can basically only beat the Carolina Panthers. I get the games in Tennessee. The Titans significantly better at home than on the road. But guess what? The Colts, 4-1 and one on the road this season. So, you know, they can do it on the road too, and this line being less than a field goal, Hey, it's a winning team with some good talent against a losing team at less than a field goal. I have to take it. I just... Do you know how much Colts I've watched after the Ravens-Colts game this year? Not a lot. But <laughs> that line is too small. I'm taking the Colts there. And this is... This next one, another one. I just... I have to take this. It's the Houston Texans at home. 
three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Denver Broncos, who have won five games in a row. Do your homework on the Denver Broncos. They are the exact same team with just a ton of turnover luck in the last five games, and guess what? They've won all five of those games. That stuff evens out. The Texans are significantly better. Even in losses, they have been in games late. Three and a half? I'm not afraid of that extra half point. It's at home. Give me the Texans there, minus three and a half. And then I got to keep the teases going. Tony Teaser, got to keep them going. Three teams, six-point teaser. Cowboys, I'm moving that to minus two and a half against the Seahawks. That's in Dallas. The Jags, I'm moving that to minus one and a half against the Browning-led Bengals. That's in Jacksonville. And then the Lions, I'm taking them at plus one and a half at the Saints. The Lions looked bad with their loss against the Packers. They looked a little shaky against the Bears. I'm using that as value. This line is wrong. This line, the original line on this is Lions minus four and a half against this bad Saints team in this terrible NFC South. I think this is the get right game for Detroit. Jared Goff gets to play in a dome, which he loves to do. So I don't care that this game is on the road and I'm getting the Lions with a point and a half to play with. Yes, please. Cowboys minus two and a half. Jags minus one and a half. Lions plus one and a half. Three team teaser. Let's ride. I'm joining you on the Cowboys train, Antonio, but I'm just taking it outright. Eight minus eight and a half against the Seahawks at home on Thursday night football. Cowboys love to pummel bad teams. Uh, Seahawks seemingly going in the wrong direction. Um, so I'm, I'm riding with the Cowboys there. Uh, the Steelers have been very good to me this year. <laughs> and so I'm riding with them again. Minus five and a half at home against the Arizona Cardinals, who are still, what, a two-win outfit, right? Maybe up to three wins now. Yeah, two and ten. Um, I just imagine Kyler having a bad time going against T.J. Watt and company. Um, and for all the Steelers scoring problems, I feel like they can beat a two and ten team. A seven and four team should beat a two and ten team at home by a touchdown. So I'm going with the Steelers there. And then I am uh, riding with the Rams uh, in Los Angeles, minus four and a half against the Browns. I mentioned the Browns are kind of, I think, falling apart from a health perspective. And I just, I don't see PJ Walker like winning in Los Angeles. I know, I guess you could cover three, but it just feels like the Browns are kind of losing too much. And the Rams have been playing pretty good football, you know, this year. They're five and six, but... They're competitive, so we're, we're riding with the Rams. We went 2-1 and one last week. We won thanks to Zay Flowers at the Dolphins, uh, and we lost the Panthers game. No more Panthers for me this year. That is a J7's promise. No more Panthers picks in, in, in 2023. Um, I lost one of my bets because of Zay Flowers. Went 1-2. and two. <laughs> uh, Bit of a slide. If you remember last week, I was debating between the Jags and the Giants with Antonio and Jace. Should have just taken them both. Because those both would have been winners. I ended up losing the Chargers pick. And I lost the Eagles by a half a point as well. Um, because it was minus three and a half. They won by three. Um, and so 20 and 12 on the year this week. I'm going Browns plus four and a half away to the Rams. Ooh. I think Miles Garrett is back. I think the Browns are, outside of the quarterback, a better football team than the, than the Rams. Who are kind of just an eh team cooper cup has kind of just not been himself this whole the whole year if miles garrett plays in this game i think he wreaks havoc and 
I just think that line is wrong. I think the Browns should – I think it should be close to a minus one, minus one and a half either way. Uh, and so give me the plus four and a half for the Browns there away to L.A. Uh, in, it, I'm going to go Dolphins like you did last week, Jace, with the nine and a half at a, against a bad team. Dolphins love like the Cowboys. They're the Cowboys of the uh, AFC. They love beating up on bad teams. This should be ten and a half. It should be eleven and a half. It should be twelve and a half. The the Commanders just fired Jack Del Rio. The only reason they haven't fired Ron Rivera yet is because I think they don't want to be mean to him, and I think they're just going to let him retire at the end of the year, and then Josh Harris is going to make a big splash there or something. Give me the Dolphins minus nine and a half, rolling over the Commanders. That could be a 17, 20, 24 point game there. And then this one I hate because I would love it at three and a half. I'd love it at three, but it's sitting at plus two and a half now. The Eagles at home in Philly against the 49ers. Eagles are 10 and one and are the underdog in this game to the 49ers. You might think this is a 49ers revenge game. If you remember the NFC championship game, Brock Purdy goes out. Josh Johnson goes out. It was a disaster for the 49ers in a game that we are all very much looking forward to. Uh, the Eagles ended up rolling in that game because the Niners didn't have a quarterback. And and so you're thinking, revenge game for the Niners, revenge game for the Niners. And I love the Niners. But the Niners started talking, and talking a lot. They did a lot of, we're much better than them, this is BS, they would have never beaten us if we had Brock Purdy in there, yada, yada, yada. And now is their chance to prove it. And I think the Eagles remember that. I think more so the Eagles fans remember that. The Eagles are at home for this game as an underdog, Philly's going to be on fire. And so I'm taking in a game that I think is pretty much even. And the home team is the Philly team in front of the Philly fans. And it's plus two and a half. Again, would love it at three. Would love it at three and a half. If it moves to that, absolutely take it. But I'm taking the Eagles here plus two and a half at home to the 49ers. This is going to be an awesome game. And awesome. Uh, dare I say, very likely a preview of this upcoming NFC Championship uh, matchup because I, I don't know what other NFC team is, is sneaking in there outside of these two. Tim, I like the pick. It makes so much sense. I'm too afraid of this game to touch it with a 10-foot pole, but you got to love your 10-1 and one Eagles at home getting points. I don't care who the opponent, opponent is. Um, we will see. The good news is, guys we have a, just a weekend of stress-free football there's no raven game on this weekend so we get to just watch other teams uh you know blow timeouts and and have uh <laughs> penalties at the wrong times and have fumbles when the quarterback should just be able to scramble and then we'll be back after that playing the rams so we will preview that game next week and assess the the playoff positioning of the ravens and the rest of the nfl but for now enjoy enjoy this upcoming weekend uh stress-free for Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
workbook, guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.